Hey everybody, Dan Tom here, just letting you know that in case you didn't catch it in the feed or see it in the show notes, that this episode is split into two parts. Uh, first part's going to be me and Keith recapping UFC 242 and previewing UFC Vancouver, while part two will be the actual top five reluctant heroes in MMA. So with that noted, enjoy. The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five reluctant heroes in MMA with special guest co-host Keith Schillen. We cover a lot of good ground, y'all, so strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. And Alyssa's work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. And on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today. Slightly in a different way. Uh, it's a top five episode. We are bringing that back, of course. Going to also recap a little bit of UFC 242. Even preview some of UFC on ESPN Plus 16. But I got help for the top five, which means I got help for the rest. So you're not stuck with me, thankfully. Because you got Keith Schillen here to help you out. At Keith Schillen, S-H-I-L-L-A-N-M-M-A on Twitter. You may know him from SureDog, the Loudmouth Podcast Network, Cage Side Press, MMA Takeover, and probably something else I'm missing. Thank you for coming aboard, Keith. Uh, thanks, Dan, man. I really appreciate being on the show. You, uh, you know I'm a big fan of you and your work and your hustle, and, and I listen to the show all the time, so it's kind of cool hearing the, uh, some of the behind-the-scenes things starting. It's kind of cool. Uh, no, I appreciate that, man, and, and you're getting a, the, the, the real behind-the-scenes treatment because it's fun. When we do these things, obviously, you're, 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 my, you know, you're my cohort, you're my co-host, or whatever you want to call it for, for the next hour or two. But more importantly, it's this weird line that we have to kind of cross leading up to this, uh, peeling back the curtain, and you can peel it back with me, Keith. But like when we're talking from Twitter or before we start recording here, because we don't want to talk too much. We don't want to re- we don't reveal the list, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you kind of new to the format. Um, anytime I have a co-host on here, we're kind of just revealing it live on air, getting the best, most organic reactions. But you got to walk a fine line, right, Keith? Yeah, man, we'll see. I, I, I know we'll probably agree. I, you know how I have such a high opinion of, of your knowledge of MMA, but you know me, man. I'm not scared to disagree either, and we've, we've gone into it and got into some bait. So I'm kind of hoping we get a little bit of green, a little bit of debate going on too. I think so too, yeah. And, of course, the topic that we'll be covering uh, this episode is top five reluctant heroes in MMA. Although we'll get into it. We're going to set it. We're going to save it for later. We're going to get to these, these previews and recaps here real quick first. Of course, as per usual, folks, check the notes for the timestamps uh, that I provide for the episodes in case you want to skip ahead or skip away uh, from anything. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings here. But, yes, top five reluctant heroes, or as uh, Keith was kind of bringing up, and I made sure to add in the verbiage when the post officially went out, kind of unlikely heroes. So if you, if you all were confused on that a bit, it's okay. We're going to kind of explain uh, why that's okay, but why it's also a sweet topic to take a, a kind of a deep dive into. And I got... I got the right man for the job because before we jump into this uh, 242 recap, then it'll be the Gaethje vs. Cowboy preview. 
Um, I, just for people that aren't familiar, in case my you know pe- people of this audience aren't familiar w- with with you, Keith. Uh, obviously, I plug the places you work for above, from writing to podcasting. Uh, you know, I came across your work and immediately respected it. And listening to the uh, the uh, uh, the MMA history series that you guys did over there at Loudmouth with a shout out to Kyle Steele over there. You know, I really found out. Wow, man, Keith. Keith's been listening. Like everybody says, they've been a fan and talk about the VHS tape days, right, Keith? But if you look at the numbers for how many people were watching UFC one, to even the early ones, like uh, th- there's a lot of fake like Vietnam vets out there when it comes to yeah. early. Keith is not one of them. So stop me from rambling, Keith. Where, where did you about pick up on this sport? So I became a fan right after UFC six. Uh, my my uncle. Used to he used to have a black box. This is before I didn't have the internet or anything like that. And my uncle used I used to love WF wrestling. This was like during the Shawn Michaels, oh, Brett yeah. the Hitman Hart era. Yeah. And he used to take the pay per views for me. And, you know, I would I would watch him on VHS. And then he saw this Ultimate Fighting thing, and he's like, "What the heck is this?" And he's like, "Oh, my nephew would love it." And he taped it, and it was UFC six. It was the debut of Tank Abbott. Jesus. And the funny thing is. Uh, the, there was a super fight back then. It was the super fight for that night was Ken Shamrock versus Dan Severn. Yeah. And my uncle, you know, he taped it, but he wasn't really watching. And he came in and he saw Ken Shamrock beat Dan Severn, and he turned the recording off. And when I watched it, I never got to see the finals. The finals was Oleg Taktorov versus Tank Abbott, and I just assumed Tank Abbott won. And I finally went. I went to a blockbuster. It probably was maybe six six months later or something like that. And they had all the old UFCs at that time. So I, I grabbed number one and started watching them. And then I would say about UFC 10, I saw a preview for UFC coming on pay-per-view. And me and my friends uh, occasionally got together for uh, WF pay-per-views. We all chipping five bucks or something like that. And I convinced them to start doing UFCs. And we just never did it ever since. So I've been through, you know, before the Dana White era to today. That's- but I did not – I was not there for UFC 1, even though I'm sure that you have a friend that you know that says they watch UFC 1 and or you meet some guy at a bar who claimed he saw UFC 1. If So I have this kind of like rule. Unless you're Art David and you tell me you saw UFC 1, I don't believe you. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. There's a lot of, a uh, lot of, uh, I was gonna say truthers. That's not the right word, but yeah, a lot of fakers in that regard, man. Because if you really look at those numbers, it was crazy. We had Art Davy on, on MMA Junkie Radio many a times, and uh, it's always a trip, you know, talking to people who are actually there, especially just, just in reflection. You know, it's a, the stories kind of age like wine, and or the, the retrospective, uh, at least that you get from the stories, right? Yeah, I, I heard an interview one with him once, and he said if everyone who said they saw UFC one did, he's like, I would have made a lot more money that night. I love that. Yes, that's the good, perfect <laughs> man. Another reason why I'm glad you're on here, man. And by the way, I, I, as you're saying, I do think that, and it wasn't live by any means. This was a, this was a, you know, VHS blockbusters. Uh, I mean, which was a lot of the way a lot of people were. Again, they weren't watching them live. Most of them were probably finding them that way as well, but. I would usually kind of pass on them. Uh, I would be like going for like, ooh, this is Reservoir Dogs. This looks much more fun. These guys have guns pointed at each other. Uh, even though I was in a martial arts back then, but Tektarov, um, Abbott was one of the fights I remember going back to watch because I was going to ask you, Keith, maybe you know three or three years later after you convince your, your buddies to, to, to watch and you start seeing guys like Oleg Taktarov in movies like 15 Minutes with Robert De Niro. Are you watching? Like, oh, that's the guy that got washed by yeah. Abbott. <laughs> and then yeah. going to back and watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the crazy thing is, 
Yeah, when I actually rented UF, I got to UFC six and I wanted to see how Tank Abbott won. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was shocked when Oleg Taktorov won. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a there was an era when any time a UFC fighter had anything to do with Hollywood, it was the biggest deal. The Sure Dog Farms would blow up, and people be like, "Hey guys, don't forget that." You know, Dan Henderson is going to be on Friends tonight and everyone would watch or, you know, whatever episode of what everyone would watch. And it was a big deal. And and people would be like, hey, did you see that commercial with Pat Miletic was in and it was in Croatia and it was a 30 second car commercial. It was a big deal. And now, you know, it's it's easy to just turn on TV and just see an MMA fighter on any time. You know, it's crazy. It is nuts, man. Well, we could probably keep going with this part of the conversation, but with uh, obviously with the top five, that's a, that's a history deep dive. But I'll even say with UFC 242, as we kind of hit that segue here, I think we'll still end up be talking a lot about history, uh, especially when it comes to lightweight history. Uh, we'll, we'll get to reading and, 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 and brushing through these results, but we might as well get to the meat first, right? Of course, I'm talking about Khabib Nurmagomedov defending the lightweight title, really just cementing himself in many ways, which we'll talk about those ways um, from people who were already in love with them to people who, you know, had healthy skepticism to, I got to even imagine the haters got to have love for, for, for Khabib uh, after that night. Um, did you watch the card, uh, live? And I guess what was your thoughts, uh, heading into the matchup as opposed to heading out, Keith? I did watch it live. I did, I did favor Khabib heading, heading into it. I kind of predicted that it would go this way, but I did give Pore a much better shot. And I kind of talked myself into believing that he had a had a good shot to win. Yeah, I hear that. Because of, just, just be, yeah, yeah. No, I did pick Khabib, and and I, um, I and I I I just did that. Like when the people, you know, there's, there's always those people that just say, "Oh, yeah, Khabib's gonna win. He has no shot." A right, good friend right. of mine was saying, "Like Dennis Poirier has no shot." I'm like, "Yes, it's Dennis Poirier. Like he wasn't supposed to have a shot against insert every single person he's ever beaten." Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of like a narrative for him. Uh, but then, you, you know, when you see what Khabib does, he he does things. It's funny because he reminds me of an old school fighter. He reminds me of like a Matt Hughes or these or even like a, the wrestling version of, of Hoist Gracie from UFC one where he is. He is one dimension. You know what he's going to do and there's no way to stop him. But yeah. what's amazing about him is doing it. He's not doing it to Gerard Gardeau. He's doing it to Dustin Poirier. Yeah. He's doing it to Conor McGregor. He's doing it against. Guys that we have ranked in the top ten pound for pound rankings, guys that are legendary, guys that could, I mean, Dustin Poirier could be in a different era. Dustin Poirier would be a like a god. I mean, the guy is an unbelievable fighter, and Habib just makes him look like amateur, like this this like layers and layers below the level that Habib is on. It's insane. Yeah, obviously I gotta I gotta eat crow for listeners of this podcast, or just in general, uh, even people who just kind of just see my last. Two predictions, I guess I should say. Boy, I, I kind of lost my my right to pick against him. And the irony was that I wish I actually didn't. I came and leaned toward Khabib. And, like, often is the time, especially on this card a couple of times, but especially with this matchup, Keith, I probably should have stuck to that gut instinct. And it wasn't even like – and, again, I get labeled as a Khabib hater just because I pick against the guy just because I actually will find actual evidence to make cases. Now, I never claim like anything that, that, that it's going to be right or that I have the answer. Put all your money here. I never have done that. I didn't do that for this matchup. But God forbid I made a case. But, man, I, I actually – if I was a hater, I actually wouldn't, wouldn't have uh, would have picked him because, again, the, the case that I've been preaching – was that uh, Tony Ferguson, you know, was going to be the guy that has the best shot. And I'll definitely get your thoughts on that here in a second. But I don't know if I can pick, if I'm just, if you know, I can pick against him. Even 
And the, the crappy thing was, even though this was not just a win, I can't just, oh, I, can't, I was wrong again. No, it's not even, it, it's beyond that. Kind of what you're talking about, that he is so great against this modern era. And I don't mean that in the proverbialized sense. The UFC's kind of tainted that term. I guess I should say today's era of fighters. He's doing it to those guys and making analysts like myself, where I, not all analysts think this way. I, this was just This was just my kind of guilty admission here, where... You know, maybe because I, I love, I'm a well-rounded guy myself. Whether it's sports like basketball, Scottie Pippen's of the world. I love well-rounded players. I always, I love dark horses. I love underdogs. I'm, I'm a fucking contrarian. I think that works against me here, because I almost discount that you can still be a specialist and make hay today. So uh, th- that was definitely my 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 negative going in. And before I even give my opinion, or even dare to give an opinion on. On what's next for Khabib? Uh, what do you think about that? Slash, you know, uh, uh, people talking about if anybody, you know, do you even see anybody able to beat this guy at 155 at least? Yeah. So to, just to back up one thing. Besides, I mean, me and you both love the technical aspect. We, we and you would love to just break. I mean, I could spend an hour talking about the technical aspect. I mean, he's amazing. Yes. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's 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 watching to me like what he does on the ground. Like I, I'm not a music lover, but. I'm sure like a music lover could sit down and listen to Mozart and just be amazed by what they, like he's, he's like the MMA's ground version of Mozart or Beethoven or whatever. But like what he does, it's just like, this guy's, this guy's creating a masterpiece. What Absolutely. What I was, I do a, a, a recap show with John Franklin, um, on the Loudmouth MMA podcast. And one thing I said to him is when Habib grabs your legs, instantly your offense is all over for the rest of the round. You're on defense. Yep. Just forget the offense. He, he's got you down and the round's over. Yes. So, sorry. Go ahead. So, what amazes me about that is, but not just because he gets you down, his offense isn't over though. He's one of the few fighters I, that I can think of that usually you have two things that happens: either you have smothering top control, or you have like an active beat him up offense. But when you kind of have to let yourself off a little bit to land the punches or go to a, or, or advance to a submission, you kind of have to let off the pressure, and that leaves an opening for a guy to scramble. Habib is one of the only people I've ever seen that he can smother you with top pressure and pound you out at the same time. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And and the most ironic thing, and furthering that point you just made, Keith, is that like, and I said this in, in my breakdown podcast where I'm saying like, listen, I'm not being a Khabib hater by trying. I mean, like, I mean, I, I, sure, I could just go Khabib smash. I mean, you can hear that from anywhere. You don't have to go to an analyst here. You can just go on Twitter to hear that. And most of those people are right. Good for them. But, I, I, you know, what I try to do is I always try to make a case, even when I don't pick the underdog. I mean, there was like a, uh, you know, like a lot of times when I would, do, especially with the old school write-ups from Mixed Martial Analysts, whenever you would see like the, uh, what, do, what do you call, uh, uh, the, the really inflated matchup. So I'm remembering an old UFC London where it was Tom Breeze versus the Japanese, Keita Nakamura, right? And it was like these okay. ridiculous odds for Tom sure. Breeze. And I went back and looked at my summaries and that was the longest write-up. And I'm like, Dan... Why the hell are you making your longest damn write-up on like the matchup that's the most predictable, right? But I'm like, no, I, 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 I always hate seeing that. It's a fight, uh, especially when it's a, a good fighter that that the, it's on the negative end of the odds. And I try to make the case for them, you know. I did the same for Bisping against Rockhold. Now again, I, I picked Rockhold. I, I was wrong there, right? But I don't regret going to make these cases. Um, and when I was talking about Khabib's case, and to your point, Keith, it was like. I actually like will stop. Khabib's one of the few fighters where I'll actually stop and I'll take stuff not just for the breakdown. I'll take notes for myself, uh, stuff that I want to try to try to do. And I know Khabib's amazing, and I'm a fucking out of shape media dude. But trust me, guys, the ironic part here about, especially for people that would think that I'm that I'm hating on Khabib, the ironic part here about 
me picking against Khabib and also the point we just brought, we were just being Keith, we were just talking about about specialists, uh, that, that kind of false sense of thought that, oh, the Rory McDonald's of the world, this is the new era, right? How that kind of, it's not necessarily true. And the most ironic part is because the only other fighter that you really can compare that with is Damian Maya. Because Damian Maya, unlike Khabib, thankfully for Khabib's sake, Damian Maya went through his K1 phase where he tried shit and paid for it, right? And what did he do? He just built He's like, oh, let me just work on my wrestling and build up my strengths around my jujitsu and still specialize on the jujitsu. And if you look at my game when I grapple, I'm doing a lot of that same stuff. I'm doing the old man Damian Maya. I'm letting that. I'm not doing the wrestling part because I can't wrestle like Khabib. I can't wrestle for against these young studs. So I'm I'm pulling half guard. I'm doing the half guard sweep. You know, I'm I'm letting them tire themselves out. Then I sweep them and get on top. And then once I'm top, I'm using certain things that Damian does, but I'm using a lot more stuff that Khabib does as far as. You know, weaving, you you know, draping and throwing that heavy shoulder and head pressure down on top while simultaneously using your legs to kind of try to get dope mounts or encouragements. And, uh, you know, the, the Dagestani handcuff, like, that's just a cross-wrist ride. Neil Melanson's been drilling with us back since, I think, 2011. Like, this is nothing that's new to me. Like, I love I love all those techniques. And, like, so, yeah, I'm going on a tangent here, but but believe me, it, I... um. This, that said, the skepticism I did have, I guess, rounding it out here, Keith, man, he really, uh, he smashed, he smashed it out of me watching that because even the adversity that he did go through, I don't think he was that rocked, by the way, by the shot on the feet. But yes, he did get yeah, touched on the feet. Uh, and then that guillotine was close, and I'm glad that Khabib admitted that. But even with those things, which they even parlay and they make my strength case, ugh, I don't know if I could pick against him, man, you, which is ironic because what's going to happen is Tony's going to come out and do everything that I've been preaching since, I think, 2016 now, Keith. I've had written work proving this. He's going to go out and prove everything I've been preaching, and the ironic part is I'm going to pick against my favorite fighter, Tony Ferguson. I can already see it. Sorry for that rant, but bring me down to earth. I'm with you. I'm actually – I'm taking Habib. I actually – I'm liking Habib's chances a lot in that fight. Yeah, um, even more obviously, so. Yeah, obviously Tony Tony Ferguson. The thing that always stands out to me is his pace. His pace is incredible. Right. But has he faced a guy like Habib that can neutralize his pace by just being the guy who's having him work in the wrestling, just having him hold on to you, pulling you down, being on top of you, working? I don't know if Tony can do that. Another thing Tony does, he doesn't really fight off the takedown attempts. He'll do like a Granby roll or yes, or even like I mean the one thing that, that I know a lot of people have said this, but it keeps jumping out to me is how successful Kevin Lee was early in that fight, getting a takedown, working him. I don't see how Habib wouldn't be the same way. I, I, I agree more with that argument because part of my reasonings, and it's tough because there are still fighters that they'll go out and prove you wrong. And then you fall to that class. They, you proved me wrong, motherfucker. You told me I couldn't do it. And now it's like, it's like, God damn it, man. Like, you fought this way for 20 fights. How the hell was I supposed to know you weren't going to fight that way for the 21st, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's but, right. Yeah, but, yeah. but more often than not, I think those things are right. For example, part of my argument was even though Eddie Alvarez, literally from the Navy ride against the fence to the neck crank that, that, that finished uh, Connor and then eventually ended up finished Dustin Poirier as well, Eddie got those positions on Dustin. My argument was, was even though... Eddie's an underrated ground fighter, and I'm sure Dustin knew that. He felt so confident, and I've been in those positions too because I'm like, to my own detriment, because I'm a person that gives up bad positions, that I give up bad positions to get better positions because I'm so confident with certain uh, defenses. And um, I used to say, like, Dustin Poirier's got a weakness to triangles and because he's always getting caught in triangle catches. And I don't know if he was reading my breakdowns one time, but after the Duffy fight, he's like, I never get caught with triangles, and he was so pissed about it. And then I look back, and I'm like, you know what? 
He doesn't get caught with triangles. Why do I keep persisting this in my breakdowns? You know what, Dustin? I'm not going to doubt you. So that would have been my argument there, or was my argument generally for that Kevin Lee sample size, because a lot of people point to that. But you know what, Keith? I agree with you. However, I do got to point to one thing, though. Uh, I will say, because I'm going to do a points of interest video like I did with Connor and Khabib, because I did like that, even though that pick was wrong as well. I, that, that video actually still holds up well, because, uh, again, there's no pick. It's just a point of interest, right? And one of them is that Granby role Keith mentioned, folks, because if you look at Abel Trujillo, who is not a fighter that uh, fights at pace, who is not a good as good at MMA fighter, who is not as accoladed of a wrestler, who is not a guy known for his cardio or mental toughness, all things Tony Ferguson are, look what he did with the three Granby roles he did with Khabib. A lot of people were talking about Khabib's and rightfully so, again, something I, I, I'm preaching in my breakdown is not about Khabib just in general because I'm a big proprietor of risk control. He does risk control, but before that, he has to get him to the ground, right? And how does he get him to the ground oftentimes? It's that body lock, that, and it's that body lock that people can't break, that people say is so strong. The way you fight a body lock, uh, you can't connect hands, obviously, in a lot of freestyle wrestling, collegiate wrestling, but the way you fight those control positions is fighters will Granby roll. And if you look at Abel Trujillo, he was able to break Khabib's grip all three times. The first time he did it in like round one, he's able to separate. The second time he's able to separate, get somewhat of a dominant position, and get some strikes off. The third time in the third round, Abel Trujillo's ready to, to quit. You know, you've got Henry Hoof going, don't quit, don't quit, where's the rumble I know? Um, and, and he, 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 he Gramby rolls and almost gets a mount, kind of like what McGregor almost had at a certain point in Khabib where these guys, they, they're like, sure. whoa, they're like, whoa, I'm having, and that's where they fuck up, right? That's where McGregor fucked up. They're like, wow, I'm having, I'm having some success here. I can ride this position. And that's where, eh, wrong guess. Sorry, wrong guess. Cause Khabib will reverse that shit in a blink of an eye. Right. But against a different type of guy, a guy who hits those Gramby rolls, that could hit him in midair like we saw in the Josh Thompson fight. I do think that is something to worth watch for. But, yeah, I don't know if I could pick against against Khabib, though. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. And that's huge because everybody knows how hard I am on, on – how hard I've been on with Tony. Yeah, I, I, I'm still sticking with him. You made, you made a very compelling argument. I know one thing that Dustin Poirier must have saw. He must have saw the switches because if you saw he kept looking for that, you know, your classic NCAA switch – and he just like was having that. no success. He was having no success with that. No, it was it was it was crazy, you know. Like I remember uh BJ hitting that on Diego, uh probably like BJ's best performance, right? And like the, you want to mm-hmm. talk about the last lightweight sure. the last lightweight great, which will sum up this conversation here. This will be a perfect segue point, so we're not on this forever, but the last lightweight great. And just seeing what he did with that position and in that fight, you're like, Oh, it's masterful. Then you see a guy again, like what you're saying, any other era, if certain guys aren't around, Dustin Poirier is the man, right? And he's sure. going, and I know he's not a, I know he's not a collegiate wrestler, folks. I know, I know. There's better wrestlers in him, but he he goes, he actually gets a pretty decent grip on the switch. And what Khabib does is just so masterful with his balance and reading, and it's just, it just, it was just apparent there, like, okay, Dustin can't be going back to that. And you saw him kind of breaking. So, so uh, props to the people, uh, but uh, I, I, and and I will say, um, I will say in comparison to BJ Penn, I used to say. Hold your horses, because one, he still has to fight Tony Ferguson, which he still does. Although I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm less hard on that argument right now. But another thing people never took into uh, into account: we're talking about history and lightweight history, right? We were talking about that before the mics roll. This was this was this was a point I wanted to bring up to you, Keith. Was that like, for example, with the BMF title, everyone's making a big deal. The Rock's going to present the belt, like. 
The Rock wasn't this. This this isn't the first time The Rock has shined. It wasn't because of some W M E I N G tinfoil hat thing that why he's tweeting about it. Like The Rock's been at UFC events before, and Keith, correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say the first one he was at was UFC 84 because I wrote about this in my article when BJ defend, defended against Sean Shirk, and it was you had Jason Statham in the audience, and it was a real uh, a hallmark because back when the bantamweight division was the lightweight division, and you had guys like at UFC 33, the UFC's worst show in recorded history. Who was it with the uh, was uh, Jens Pulver versus the guy with the speedo, uh, Holman, Dennis Holman. And yeah, Dennis Holman, yeah, yeah. And it was a terrible fight. And, they, and the great kind of retrospective is they cut to the audience, and it kind of shows where they are in their management. You know, they're, they're trying to shell out and pull, use their Vegas cred. And they go to the audience where it's, uh, what's the name uh, with the Carmen, Carmen Electra? Yeah, and her boyfriend, yeah. right? And they're like, and and like it cuts to them, and you see her like looking really annoyed with the cameraman looking just, just off of the camera, going, <laughs> What do you want me to say? What do you want? Yeah, yeah. Ah, forget it. And they just ignore the thing. Like they're already like three sheets to the wind. And then you yeah, fast yeah. forward to UFC 84. Like BJ was the point was BJ was able to bring that attention to a division kind of like you were saying in the beginning of the show, Keith, or, or maybe it was off off mic. But like the UFC wasn't even like you know the, the, there was a lot of skepticism from fans to the to the brass about keeping the lightweight division. Uh, hence it failing three official times before finally succeeding. Yeah, they, they they scrapped the whole division at one point. And when uh, when BJ Penn and, and Cole Uno faced each other to for the vacant title, and, and they scrapped it when they went to a draw. So now, obviously, BJ Penn is is, is not not in a great place today. But rounding this back to the Khabib thing, and we'll move on here. Is that I didn't really see that with him. But after shout out to uh, MMA Junkie's newest Fair Hanun, she wrote a great article there at MMAJunkie.com. You can check out from her perspective. Uh, you know, she, she was at the first Abu Dhabi card around when she first started kind of covering the sport. Uh, and she, she lives in Egypt, so she's obviously very familiar with the region and the culture. And kind of seeing that, I think we were all kind of be able to at least get a peek of that, even us ignorant Americans over here, Keith, as far as like the Muslim, the cultural, and like, you know, what, even watching like Arabic fighters through these cultural connections and religious connections, being able to uh, connect with Khabib and how how much more attention that brings to the sport. So I got to say, I was touching on it at the beginning, the beginning, but that was an overall positive, And I think that helps Khabib's case, regardless of what you think of his politics and who he keeps company with, which I definitely don't support, but I think that helps Khabib's case for being an all time great for what that's worth. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's obviously an all time great. I mean, the guy's what 28 and oh, he's lost one. Technically he's lost one round in his career. I know a lot of people would argue the Gleason T-Bow fight, but I mean, technically speaking, officially, right. he's only lost one round in yeah. his career. I mean, I think he's amazing. The question that keeps getting asked, and you kind of asked it, you said, you know, who's the guy to beat him? And I've been asked that. I mean, that's all that's been asked since Saturday. And my answer is nobody. If, if you, I don't think anybody beats him. But if who do I think has the best chance to beat him? I'm actually going way down in the rankings. I'm not going Tony Ferguson. I'm not expecting Connor in a rematch or Poirier. I'm going all the way down to Gregor Gillespie. Um, I know it's a little bit of a lazy answer. Just go, hey, give me the best wrestler there is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I know it's a lazy answer, but give me the best wrestler there is, and that's that's Gregor Gillespie. Um, that, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about the size advantage because he's a a smaller lightweight compared to Habib, who's a very large, very strong lightweight. And if you ask me who would win, yeah, I take Habib. But I'm saying what I would like about him is. I would like to see someone actually go on the offense wrestling, try to be the one taking yes. Habib down yes. instead of being the opposite. Because we've always seen Habib shooting, and he does that like – and a lot of times his shots are lazy. Yep. A lot of times his shots are – like sometimes he has just sort of this like lazy, low single. I would like to see – I mean how exciting would it be 
in the middle, you know, how we had with Connor, where he's in on a, he's in on a, a leg, he's doing the, uh, the Navy ride and you got Gillespie reaching over for a, uh, a splato and scrambling. I think that would, that would be so much yeah. fun. To watch. Yeah. No, that's, that's not a bad answer, but the, the problem, but he is very small compared to me. That's the one thing I'm worried about. He's very, very small. It, the problem with that answer is the same reason why I kind of begrudgingly got to agree with you that he's going to be undefeated and no one's going to beat him is because he's only going to be sticking around for about two more fights. And I think that even if he does stick around for more than two fights, it ain't more than two fights at lightweight. Um, uh, and Gregor Gillespie is already small lightweight. He's already got the Frank, Frank Yeager storyline. And he's not even with his quote-unquote trying to call people out now. Like it, it, I don't see him rising the ranks that fast uh, or that negotiation, unfortunately, in the pol- political age. But from a technical standpoint, as a pure answer, I, think it's a, I actually think it's a low-key uh, answer. I, I, don't, I mean, yeah, maybe it's lazy if you're just looking for the best wrestler. Yeah, it is lazy. But, uh, yeah. but, but, but I actually don't think it's a bad answer. Um, I got to stick with you know, Tony Ferguson, even though I probably, I can't, I'm not allowed to pick against Khabib anymore, so I probably can't pick him. <laughs> uh, but I, I do got to stick, though. I do, I do feel like there is evidence that he is a case why he would – be the best, especially that front, you know, his, his whole front headlock series. But, but, um, but, but I will say people have been mentioning Justin Gaethje, and I will say for the reason of the Granby role, and also for the reason that you said earlier in this episode, Keith, of Khabib needing to establish a leg, and Gaethje using his wrestling and defense, whether he's Granby rolling or just has those spring triggers on sure. his hips, right, where his, his legs kick all the way back, his hips slam to the floor. He doesn't care if his head runs into a knee, which can be a problem, but maybe not yeah. so much with Khabib. Um, so I, actually, I, I don't hate people making that argument either, but I don't think I could pick a game against anybody, to be honest, even if GSP comes back. Yeah, the other thing I'd be worried about, uh, two things, is just the cardio. We've seen Gaethje, even though you know he has obviously these legendary wars. I mean, he's to me, he's the yes. most exciting guy to watch. He yes. does slow down in fights. As much as we admit it, he, the wars drag him. He sl- I mean, every fight, you look at the Poirier fight, Costa. he was gasping air. Eddie Alvarez fight, he was gasping air. And, and, and you expect that. When you go out guns blazing the whole time, it's going to happen. The other thing that worries me about the Gaethje fight is one of Gaethje's biggest strengths is his leg kicks. And is he going to throw leg kicks with a guy who wants to grab a leg? I don't know. I will maybe say that. he will. Maybe he will. Like mm-hmm. maybe he'll throw the leg kicks and and land them and take away the base of Habib, which would be incredible and give him an incredible advantage. But maybe he throws leg kicks and Habib catches it, and you're actually helping him. I don't. Or maybe he doesn't even throw it at all. Maybe he goes, "Hey, I'm not going to take the chance. I'm not going to throw it." Last thing on that, I actually think that the leg kicks fit your wrestling theory, Keith, uh, because when looking at that, something I was reminded of with the Poirier, I'm like, well, Poirier doesn't use his leg kicks too much, and it's a it's southpaw versus open stance, the dynamic. I don't, I don't see that being that much of a factor, but I do remember looking for this uh, once before and coming up negative, so I did it again. I can't, I mean, Khabib uses legs, caught legs, but it's legs he's diving for. I can't remember a takedown, and I've went through his library multiple times in the UFC that he's got off of, like, your traditional caught kick. Like, he really doesn't do it, which is crazy to think about because yeah, you figure that's, I, like, right up his alley for his slop striking, come forward, take, and he, oh, he loves leg, but he really, if you actually break down that specific move, he doesn't fucking yeah. do it. It's, he doesn't even, I, like, go for it in this. It's weird. I just wonder who really throws kicks at him. That too. That too. I mean, his, that's, I mean, Barbosa. Barbosa probably. Bar- yeah, Barbosa was too busy galloping because that, in yeah. my opinion, that was that and the Dos Anjos fight. Considering who Dos Anjos was going to be, uh, whereas are in, are still even with this Saturday are my most impressive performances of him. He, he is striking, especially in that Barbosa fight. His tight shell that he kept. I don't know what mm-hmm. the fuck happened to it, but I love that version. Yeah, I'm actually 100% on board with you on the Barbosa fight is the one that most impressed me just because of the pure 
Um, I mean, one hit a stick to a very disciplined game plan by keeping a nonstop pressure where you're having Barbosa backing up the whole time. So he really couldn't set himself to really get things off. It's something Felder actually tried doing. Felder had a very, I mean, to transition to the co-main event, he had a very similar game plan yeah. to me. He just, to me, and I was saying this to John on our, our recap, you have to have two things. You have to have that insane style where you're going to have Barbosa back it up, but you also have to have the skill set to go with it to back him up. You... I don't think Felder had that skill set. And I, if we want to transition this to the coming yes, event, yes, go ahead. I scored that for Barbosa. I thought, it, I thought, I don't want to say clear. I don't want to say robbery or anything, but I felt very comfortable when I, when I handed my scorecard to MMA decision, I had a 29, 28. I think the MMA decisions, 13 out of 16 guys scored for Barbosa. I thought the first round was, I, I hate when people look at like Duke Rufus did this and he talked about stats and he just looked up stats and they say numbers don't lie. That is not true. At all. I numbers, hate that. I numbers hate the numbers. numbers. God, not hate, all significant yeah. strikes are the same. Paul Felder landing a jab will count as a significant strike. And then Barbosa responding with a powerful, you know, switch kick to the body, that counts as a point of significant strike. But that's not equal. But, but yeah. that, like, would you rather get jabbed by Paul Felder or switch kicked to the body by Edson Barbosa? I think yeah. everyone on the planet would say, I'll take a jab from Paul Felder. That is, I, I, hate, I hate that. And I think it's one of the biggest trappings when you're trying to break down fights as well. So I, I personally try to avoid it. Nothing wrong with it. There, there are people that make good arguments off the numbers. You know, uh, My man Luke Thomas there does a, good, does a good job. I know he's more of a numbers guy. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm just saying it's so dangerous. And more often than not, I see it misused time and time again. It, it annoys me. Uh, and not, not to bounce back to the Khabib thing, but like Khabib's great and all, and we just praised him. But like, don't tell me he's the best striker in lightweight history as well because he's got the biggest strike differential. Like yeah, the sample yeah, size, he, he's holding yeah. guys on the fucking ground. There's no yeah, striking yeah. going on. Well, it goes back to my Gregor Gillespie. It's a lazy answer. Like when you go to the when you go to the numbers, like oh look at the numbers. It's just a lazy answer. Like what it's you do terrible. is you have your you have your argument, and then you go to the stats to see if it backs your argument. Yep. Here's how I scored the co-main event. I had a very biased scorecard because I was very biased going in uh, for my pick. I had a play, and I like Paul. So I had it scored rounds two and three for Paul, but based on how the night was going, you couldn't be confident on either side with the way the fights were getting scored. And because I knew I was being biased, I figured we were going to see rounds one and two scored for Barbosa. Yeah. That being said, I think we can all agree that round two is a swing round. So the only reason I, I do actually, aside from being biased, have a decent uh, reasoning that I did score it for that was because the takedown, not so much he didn't do anything with it, but yeah. Felder did. It was was the one striking off the back. I, I know it's very seldomly rewarded, but the guy was sure. active as shit. He did something that he could show for it because he cut Barbosa open. And I don't think it should be rewarded as much. It will never be rewarded as much granted, but I will make the strong argument that they do need to grade submission catches because this, if we're going to reward significant strikes so much and, and not differentiate that for the argument that you brilliantly stated earlier, mm-hmm. um, what the hell do we have for submission? Does it just count for fucking nothing? I mean, because it, 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 when, you, when you say submission ca- catches, you mean like, Close attempts, right? Yes. Because again, if yeah. we're saying that, oh, we, these aren't just boxing judges, we're not being lazy and just uh, absorbing a 10 9 system, we'll prove it by incorporating actual structured scoring systems. And in, in all grappling competitions, what's one of the, I know they a lot of them differential rules, but what, what are all of them, gi or no gi? They award you for submission catches because if you catch it, if you land a significant strike in jujitsu, the fight's over. 
You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, sure, so sure, what, the, yeah, yeah. what the hell is our metric? We need to give them some type of scoring because, again, jujitsu is trying to correlate with its neighbors, even though it's not clan and mixed martial arts. It's trying to correlate with wrestling, even though there's no tech falls. It's a grappling art where we need to have things to differentiate who is advancing on the fucking board. And I don't see that represented. So for that argument, I will say that that's why I gave Felder the second. But it was still even with that argument, it was still a close round. Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I just thought the significant striking on the feet was yes. in favor of Barbosa. And uh, I agree with you. Felder had a couple brief moments, but I still think the top control time from Barbosa was a different. But to me, I already had, I thought Barbosa had a significant edge in just the striking on the feet in that round. You know what I think, too? It sucks because. I love counterfighters, but it's always, I talk about all the time. You can't expect the judges to understand Mm -hmm. the exchanges all the time. They're not going to see things very clearly. And then, and then also another thing we see it's body language. And we, we saw it regardless of how, regardless of, I don't think it was that bad of a scorecard, but you can make arguments for Kelvin Gastelum or Jacare Souza, right? But Jacare Souza, similar to Edson Barbosa, they had that, the shuffling tired body language. And Mm -hmm. when they went forward and it's unfair because even if they're being effective, I feel like they're getting marked down in the judges scorecards. Yeah, no, I want to say, yeah, the felt and felt his volume. Felder was throwing more, but to me, he wasn't landing more and he wasn't landing harder. Yeah. But when a guy's throwing three punches to every one punch, it, it definitely looks, I mean, that's, that's going back forever. I mean, it's always been a factor yes. is the guy who throws one. That's why actually we, we were doing this pool for the Bellator Grand Prix and I had the third pick and I picked a man who's And I felt very good about that because of nice. the, the amount of volume he throws. Now, I'm a little worried because he, he's willing to give up takedowns and be active. We actually started in the Claxton fight where he was taken down and he was working off his back. And I'm like, God, I hope the judges are are seeing that he's winning on the ground. Even though he's on bottom, he's winning. That was the only Claxton. reason why I picked – well, I was a little biased there too. But that was the only reason why I picked Claxton. Inexperienced at all. I'm like, this is the only three-rounder. Uh, Manuel Sanchez is a five-round fighter. And yeah. I, I think Manuel Sanchez is going to win. Like I even stated, even though I'm picking Claxton, like the winner from this fight, I think is going to go to the end, whatever bracket you put him on. Sure. But uh, yeah, that, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, that, that was that was uh, that was that was probably the most worthy thing recapping of that. But uh, that was good times. I'm gonna have a part two, by the way, for some dark horses to look out for for that tournament. Uh, Keith, I'm just gonna read off three at a time just to blow through the rest of these and then comment where you will. Sure. Islam Makhachev also defeated Dali Ramos on the main card. Curtis Blades defeated uh, Shmuel Durahimov by knockout. Uh, Makhachev's, by the way, was decision. And rounding out that main card, Keith was Diego Fajeda upset over Merback Tysimov. Another lean that I. I I turned away from a guy who I've always suspected would lose to a pressure fighter. Oh, and I paid, but, but good for Diego Fajardo. Any, any thoughts on those? Yeah. Uh, my only thought to, to pick only one, I got it back on Diego Fajardo. Uh, we do a thing where we, we do our trending up and down and like who kind of won the night. And, and Diego was on one of my top three for his performance. I mean, his, it was well, absolute insanity. You tell me a guy who's known for his grappling suddenly becomes a high volume striker I mean, that was to me was like a, a you know open your eye type performance. And what what I thought was the most impressive is he had this insane output, but he's doing it in the middle of the desert of Abu Dhabi, which is supposed to be a hundred degrees inside the arena. To me, that was like a, as good of a performance as I've ever seen. And I actually go back and, and credit a lot to his team, Fortis MMA. I know yes. it's a team that you're big on. It's a team that I'm huge on. There's a bunch of us. Yep. They're just doing things right out there, and, and, and you see it in the improvements of a guy like Diego Fajardo. A, a, a very impressive performance. Absolutely, man. Shouts to them as well. I was happy to be wrong on that pick. And, and again, yeah, say what you will about Tyson cardio, but Diego still had to walk through hellfire in that first round, man, so that was impressive. Um, all right, Ed, 
undercard Joanne Calderwood defeated Andrea Lee by uh, by split decision. I was biased. I had Lee, but I thought I thought Calderwood won that. Give me your thoughts here in a second. Two more results. Zabira Tuhugov defeated uh, Lee Rowan Murphy. Uh, split draw there. Or not? No, that didn't defeat. It was a split draw there. Okay, I definitely need your opinion on that one as well. And then Sarah Morris uh, gave the veteran lesson to Liana Jojua, who. Uh, who I haven't seen freeze under the lights like that since Jarjus Dano, who's now facing Greg Hardy. <laughs> uh, just uh, one quick line on all of them. I thought uh, I had it for Calderwood, but it was very close. But I just thought she dug deeper, and I think it was kind of what we talked Same. about earlier between the volume, the yep. volume difference. Uh, what fight was in between? Um, to oh, the, the draw, the draw. I gave it to uh, Tugov in the. Uh, I gave him the first second with uh, Murphy the third, but it was one of those close. I'm surprised by the draw. They must have Same. went ten eight. They must have went ten eight the first round, and then went uh, ten nine both rounds for Murphy. But uh, Murphy, he took the fight on like a week and a half notice. So I would have liked yeah. to see him with a full camp. To me, like if we were just doing like if they were stocks. Uh, Tugov is going down and his counter opponent is kind of going up. Like even I though it was a draw, I felt like almost like it was felt like a win for him I agree. because he was supposed to lose. And then the last, the last fight was, uh, uh more, more oh, and Liana. Jujur. Yeah. Terrible. She just got bullied. She just got bullied around. Um, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think the, the moment got to her and she looked very undersized, which obviously doesn't help that it, not only was she, she looked undersized, yeah. but her moment missed weight. So it kind of, <laughs> that doesn't help. And Sarah, I don't mean this is disrespect, but she's sizable when she makes weight, you know. Um, so yeah, that was that was. Uh, but hey, I picked Sarah. So I, was, I was biased there, so whatever. But uh, Otman Azatar defeated Timu Pakal, and that was just a scary fucking knockout. Bilal Muhammad defeated T- uh, Takahashi Sato, uh, and via submission, getting it done late there. Muslim Salakov defeated Nordine Taleb with a technical knockout. Nice right hand there, and and we'll just leave it at that. Any anything on those? Yeah, the only thing I said, one of my favorite moments the whole night is when John Anik says to Bilal Muhammad, you don't seem like someone who would call someone out, but he's like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, let me, get, let, me get, let me get my moment. And he, and he calls out uh, uh, Jing Ling from uh, the guy who won in China to call me. I said that was great performance. I thought the, the call out made sense. And, and it just, just was a funny exchange there. That was fun. Anik's awesome, man. He, he does a great job. And uh, props to them, too. That, that was a sweaty, uh, sweaty event, it must have been the call. With some crazy travel, but uh, Omariok made off defeats uh, Zach Cummings, uh, unanimous decision. I don't got any issues with that decision, uh, despite uh, I was on the other side. And Don Madge uh, beats uh, Fairzim in a probably pretty forgettable fight. Yeah, I got nothing to add to either one of those. All right, sounds good. All right. Real quick, we're gonna again. I didn't do tape study, folks, but I, I, this is a protecting neck podcast, man. I'm not gonna leave you guys empty-handed, and you know, even though uh, my <laughs> I am not high on my analysis as of late, I I still would argue that uh, hey, that's the only reason why you tune into this show is for my opinion. So I'm sure it's worth something. Uh, and I got Keith here, who's worth more than mine, especially uh, especially this week of all weeks. So so the Keith, thank you here. We're just gonna we're just gonna pull up some some odds here. It's, of course, it's headlined in Vancouver, uh, UFC and ESPN plus sixteen. Justin Gaethje opened as your favorite. I don't know what the number is. I'm bad at that. But money has steadily come in. He's now up to minus 190 with a comeback on Cerrone plus 165. I already got my pick. I shot my video today. And even though I'm on vacation, I'm a little behind. But I'm, I'm still doing some work. I'm going to have a write-up for you guys. Keith, uh, do you have any, any any leans, any thoughts on this one? Yeah. So, first of all, I want to say I know you you do a lot of betting advice. I'm not a better, so please don't ever follow mine. I, my bets, I, I don't bet. Uh, that said... I haven't done any tape study. This is just kind of refreshing off the top of my head. 
I like Gaethje, and I like Gaethje a lot in this fight. When you think of Cerrone, I think of a guy who who doesn't like being pressured, a guy who needs his space, a guy that doesn't like getting hit to the body, doesn't like getting kicked. He kind of needs his space. I feel like he's tailor-made for Gaethje's. Gaethje's forward pressure power. Now, obviously, he could land a big shot. If he does, I actually think the best advantage for Cerrone is if he actually takes it to the ground. I don't see that happening. And, and but if he takes it to the ground and gets a submission, but uh, I just I think the pressure from Gaethje is going to be way too much. I, and uh, I, obviously it's going to be a fun fight while it lasts. I just don't think at this point in his career, coming off all the damage that just happened in the Tony Ferguson, I don't think he has he has it in him where his body can hold up to handle the pressure that Gaethje is going to bring. So I like Gaethje. I expect to knock him out of the, probably the. You know the first half of the fight, somewhere somewhere between round two and round three. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning late round one, early round two. Okay, wow, kind of like coming even bigger than I am. Wow, kind of like Masvidal. Um, okay, uh, Masvidal did. I didn't, and I wasn't. It's funny. I think I, I didn't say I didn't predict those rounds, but I did predict Masvidal inside the distance on that breakdown. And I don't believe I was as confident because Masvidal showed the ability to pressure since he moved up to welterweight, but. You know, we, we still weren't sure if he was, like, out of that old Jorge mode or not. Sure. Um, but what you said is perfect. You know, uh, take that Masvidal sample size out of there even. And really, that, that really is the strong common thread. It's been pressuring opponents. Mm-hmm. And for as much as Gaethje is known or Cerrone is known for this schedule, man, like, and I bring up some points and I'll bring up a couple of those techniques to look out for to make an argument for Cerrone. But I'm actually surprised the line isn't wider. And not that it would be just, but just because of the narrative and public feeling, because that's my feeling right now. Like, I think you were kind of alluding into it, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, Keith, but I feel like this is like the worst matchup at the worst time he could possibly have. I think these cuts to 155 are harder for Cerrone. Uh, I think that if somebody wants to test him to the body, like older fighters, um, it it is going to affect him. That was kind of quietly uh, what was, uh, well, there there were some effects there where the Ferguson throws such a hellfire, it's hard to tell, but he was turning the point with some body uh, some body attacks, not just his jab and elbows, but like, yeah, I, and I just I don't like that, especially and then and then you know a, a guy that can probably leg kick with you, Cerrone's got the most leg kicks landed in UFC history, but you know we saw Gaethje out out leg kicking Barbosa going leg kick for leg kick, going uh, averaging at least two more than him. He started off two two and zero. Oh. Uh, when they went exchanging for the first part of that first round. So, like, I, I just, it's tough, man. Like that said, Barbosa was able to catch him with some check hooks, left hooks. It was, it, it's not a knockout punch for Barbosa. It's a punch that's quietly improved with him since he worked with Mark Henry. But uh, it's a punch that's improved for Cerrone. Uh, albeit him not a knockout artist, he just needs to kind of catch you off balance, you know. Gaethje just needs to not not see that one coming over his shoulder and get stunned and... Gaethje is enough of a killer instinct, even at this stage of his career. Or Cerrone is enough of a killer instinct, I should say, at this stage of, uh, stage of his career, where I could see him finishing off Gaethje in that way. But so long as Gaethje doesn't get hit with the check knees, uh, has an answer for the check knees and the check hook, I think he's fine. I don't think he's got to worry even about the head kicks. Uh, and the check knees, I'm not sure what he's going to have for that. I have, uh, uh, Trevor Whitman's a good coach. But those check knees, I noticed, aside from Ally Quinta, who's generously listed at 5'10", guys south of 5'10", uh, they don't really, you know, they seem to get eaten up alive. Guys north of 5'10 seem to be just fine from those knees. Gaethje's 5'11. I think he knocks him out at the end of the first or beginning of the second. 
Yeah, man, I, I think your your analysis is dead on. I feel I feel very confident in Gaethje. The one thing that really stands out to me is Sonori's always known for being a slow starter. He kind of doesn't really, you know, he likes to read guys, he likes to sit back and read guys, and you don't get that with Gaethje. He's not yeah. going to let you sit back. He's going to pressure you. He's and anybody who's ever listened to me do breakdowns, you're always going to hear me talk about pressure and getting the guy to fight off his back foot. You get yeah. Sonori had to fight off his back foot. He, he doesn't like that. He likes to lead the dance, but he likes to lead the dance in a slow reading way where he can kind of sit back. Um, kind of where he started taking over in the Hernandez fight. Like Hernandez came out coming, and then, yeah. but but Cerrone moved, stayed calm, and then he started getting his reads. You're not going to get that chance. And another thing is, Cerrone's always been weak to the body. I mean, it's he. he I mean, he, I think he's even acknowledged it himself. And I can think about the Michael Johnson fight. Some of Gaethje's best moments is when he was actually going to the body yes. of Michael Johnson. I can yep. see the same thing in this fight. Um, so unless – I think a dead set, unless he runs into something, which I don't think it's going to happen, um, I like I like Gaethje to really – like I'm very confident in this pick that Gaethje takes him out. One last thing before we blow through the rest of this card. Uh, you know, Justin Gaethje, Gaethje admitted that he's been knocked out by Cerrone back in the old Denver sparring days. And you think that that, that makes a difference here? Um, no, not really. I mean, we just we're talking about how long ago. They're both different fighters. Uh, Sony's probably and, a rock star and, back then. You're like, oh, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I also think Gaethje's mentally strong. I don't think he's like a guy who's like a mentally weak person. I mean, we might see that, but I don't think he is. Yeah, kind of the way he talked about it, even when he was undefeated. Like, I, I, he was he's consistent with that. Like, he's like, someone will knock me out. I will lose, and it'll, it will be by knockout. And you got to give him credit for that because he, he's 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 right, and that 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 kind of goes in yeah. line with that mental fortitude. Uh, Co-main event: Teixeira has been kind of moving up and down. I thought the line was moving in the right way, in my opinion, tipping my hand. But Glover Teixeira is now an underdog once again at plus one hundred. Nikita Krylov uh, minus one twenty. Who do you like in this matchup, Keith? Obviously, again, not from a betting perspective, just your your analysis. Um, so yeah, I haven't really dug into this fight at all. I don't really have a strong opinion either way, but. Um... <laughs> Glover Teixeira, he's such a crafty veteran. I think he's so underrated on the, on the ground. He does those. He loves those snatch singles. Yeah. Where he like he he likes to. It was funny. He he got kind of categorized as this like pocket boxer, which which you know in a, in a way he is. Um, but he's changed so much as he's you know when we think about when he fought John Jones, it was like oh John Jones better stay out, stay out of the pocket with yeah, his hooks. Yeah. And, and he still yep. does that. But now he's so different where he like he gets in the pocket, he opens up to set up those snatch singles. And I think he's so underrated on the ground. I mean, he does damage yeah. when he's on top and, and he's a submission threat. And um obviously, you know, the youth and and a little momentum, but I mean this is I still think this is a little bit of a step up in competition for Krylov. Uh call me crazy and I'm not digging into the tape study and I can easily be convinced. I mean, you could probably convince me right now to take Krylov. Um but yeah, I'm actually I'm gonna go with the old man and, and take the share in this one. I completely agree. And you want to talk about underrated performances from great fighters? Um, I always hold that John Jones performance high. What he was able to do to Teixeira. Uh, yeah. And I, I was thinking of that, but like you said, you're right. People forgot about his wrestling creds, and even in that run, like people still forgot he was wrestling guys like Maldonado down to the ground to smash him. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And and yeah, like so. I, I don't. I feel like I, I feel like people always blind Glover in this spot, like the Jared Cannonier spot. They made him like almost like a two to one underdog. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like he's gonna, gonna take him down and cook him on the ground. Uh, I, I, that was a nice catch there. Thank you, Glover. And then this last time, I felt like it, my Glover's a little older now, but this is the same dynamic. Can he get past it again? Can he get past that Cannonier test again with Eon Cute Lava? I believe it was his last matchup. I don't have it in front of me, folks. Sorry. Again, light tape study here for me. I, I mean, none pretty much. Uh, but uh, by the way, that that moment where uh, 
Cute Lava does the throat cut, and Glover Teixeira does, and he doesn't mean to do the Game of Thrones thing, but he does the Game of Thrones not today, and then ends up winning. Like, still one of my favorite MMA feel-good, any anything MMA moments of 2019. But I feel like this is the same matchup here again. Krylov always gives up, uh, you know, that's the reason why I took, you know, uh, guys like Serkinov and, and so on and so forth against him. Because uh, he'll get he'll get that bet lesson. Like, sure, he beat Francimar Bahos, who's a black belt. But Bahos is, by the way, I don't know, Keith. You watch a lot of tape. If there's a fighter you kind of despise watching tape on, Bahos is number one on my list because he averages like one strike per 15 Uh-oh. minutes. It's fucking I'll, awful. Sorry. I'll, I'll give you one. I'll give you a guy right. on this card, Jeff Hughes. <laughs> he he is known for being like jab, <laughs> slowly back up, jab, slowly back up. Stymies the fucking fight. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, even his fight against his, his fight against Maurice Green. I mean, it was it was boring. Uh, but one thing I want to add to the Glover Teixeira, um, while I'm taking Teixeira, he is up there in age, and he's been cracked a lot. Yes, yeah. Um, I think people, I think people over exaggerate like how worn out his chin is. Um, I think it's just you know when you see him get you know knocked out crazy by. Uh, Rumble Johnson, you think right. about the, the the amount of damage that Alexander Gustafson, but people forget that like that Gustafson damage was going on and on and on. Oh yeah, he got knocked out like three times in that fight. It took yeah, like, the third yeah, time for yeah, him to finally be like, done. Yeah, so I think people are exaggerate, but that said, I mean Carl Robinson hurt him. Yes. Um, but at his age, I looked up he's thirty nine, like it it could be overnight where it's just like gone, his chin's gone. So I wouldn't be shocked if that happens here. Yeah, there is that too. Uh, yeah, again, I have a really good point there. I don't know. I know Glover. I know Glover always gets crap for training in Glover's garage. If you had like MMA joke, inside joke t shirts, yeah. like Glover's garage would be like an Abercrombie and Fitch print for sure. But, uh, but like, I don't know. But he did go to, I think, American Top Team on the last one, which is always a good sign. I don't know if he did that this time. I don't know where Krylov. So don't jump off a boat for, for me or, or Keith Picks here, especially if you're a gambler out there. That said, will I be throwing some degenerate money if I still see Glover to share it plus money when this podcast's over? I just may. I got to submit my staff picks for Junkie tonight. So uh, so you guys are going through the process with me, uh, along with Keith here. All right, speaking of Jeff Hughes, he's in the next matchup. He's favored to beat Todd Duffy at minus 120 with a comeback on Todd Duffy plus 100. Uh, full biased here. I'm, I'm picking Duffy. Um, I uh, I think I've talked about it on this podcast before, but this podcast actually – it, the reason, part of the reason why it, it, it didn't launch till 2017, because in 2016 there was another iteration of it that involved me and Todd Duffy actually, and um, it wasn't called the Protecting Egg Podcast, but we actually did a couple trial runs, breaking down some cards like the Cyborg Lena Landsberg one in Brazil, I believe. And uh, but but Todd had a lot of stuff going on in his life, which he's talked about in some interviews, and some stuff he hasn't talked about. So I'll stay mum on that. Um, but yeah, he's had good reason for being out. Let's just say that. This is a, not a fight you want to touch on from a gambling perspective. This is not a fight. I think you can even be confident picking, but I'm picking Duffy. That, that this, what do you What do you think, Keith? What's your What's your breakdown on this one? You, you know, what? it's like I mean, how can you really be confident picking? The guy hasn't fought in four years. Exactly. I, I know you have a you have a relationship with him, so you kind of have a little bit of insight. I don't have a relationship with him. Um, I mean, the guy, the guy hasn't fought in you know in in the Olympics. I mean, you think about one like Michael Phelps. Is the best swimmer in the world, and he comes back and he's hoping to get on the medal stand. Yep. Well, that's the Olympics. So, kind of same thing. It's hard. Jeff Hughes has. I mean, I'm telling you right now, he's gonna back up. He's gonna jab. He's gonna. He, if you get too close, he's gonna clinch. He's gonna bat on the clinch. He's gonna eventually break up. He's gonna jab. He's gonna be. He's gonna be extremely boring. But he's a very big man. Now, obviously, Duffy has a huge athleticism, speed advantage. 
Um, I know like Duffy was just like the sexy new kid on the block. Everyone like loved him. He was like the next thing, next future champion. And then he loses to Mike Russo and everyone gives up on him. And then he loses to Alistair Overeem. And then eventually, you know, he goes on a little run and loses to Frank. Mayer. It was like, well, let's, let's remember who we lost to Frank Mayer and Alistair Overeem, you know, two top 10, top 15 right, right. all time heavyweights. And the Mike Russo fight was one of the, like, one of the biggest beatdowns going on in history. And Mike yes. Russo just showed insane toughness. And, 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 and I mean, I don't like to call a fight a fluke, but I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that was a fluke. I mean, he was, he got hit with everything with the kitchen sink. He hey, just landed sh- the best shot. Real quick, shout out to Lookout Whale or whatever that was. Composa sh- uh, sent out, uh, tweeted out the other day was uh, the Mortal Kombat recap of that fight. is just amazing, by the way. If you find that on YouTube, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, Keith. They did a. Uh, they did a, No, I didn't see it. Okay. I didn't see it, but I'm sure like I get the like, general concept where it probably like finish him and he hits him with a punch or something like that. Well, it's funny they actually go through like a whole character selection and they actually like, wrote the graphics in like over the Mortal Kombat graphics telling the UFC story. They got Brock Lesnar with like forearms as like that care. I don't know, but it's hilarious. They got all the references in there. I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and retweet it uh, from from my from my uh, Twitter at Dan Tom MMA so you and the audience can check it out. Um, but I, so do you, do you have, a, I'm sorry. Did you, do you yeah, I'll, you know what? This is your show and that's your boy. So I'll back you, man. I'll, hey. say, uh, I'll say, I'll say your boy wins. I mean, I just think about from an upside perspective, the ceiling is to me, it's like the ceiling is much higher for Duffy, but the floor is higher for Hughes. If, that, if, if you know what I'm saying, like yeah. Yeah. I know where, I know where yeah. Hughes is at. Yeah. I don't know if Duffy's there. Yes. However, I know the ceiling of Hughes and Duffy could be over that. And, and, and I don't know if that makes sense to a lot of people. But uh, so just a pure upside play. Sure. You know, I think it'd be fun. A nice comeback. But I mean, also, it also could be, you know, the Matt Wyman comeback. It looks terrible. So, yeah. I mean, it could be it could be uh, who was the guy there that was gone forever that came back. Yeah. Matt Wyman. The, the, uh, no, before Wyman, he had a nice little run. I think it was uh, Vince Michelle. Remember? Oh, Michelle yeah. Was all, yeah. Yeah. I was ready to back. knock out Damian Brown. Yeah, I mean, he's not like a, a killer, but he had a nice little run back. Uh, so I'm kind of hoping for that. And, and I'm hoping, you know, it, it would be good for the UFC to have a guy, you know, like Duffy back in the mix. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, he's your boy. I'll take him. I like that. Uh, Jeff's, Jeff uses on the elevator that goes up one at a time, whereas Duffy's on that express elevator. You don't know, what, right. fucking, you don't know what fucking floor he's getting off on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll blow through this. Antonio Carlos Jr. is favored by minus 230 to beat. Uriah Hall for comeback on him plus one ninety. Uh, again, you're not you're not giving out gambling advice, but but do you agree with Antonio Carlos Jr. being favored? Is that your pick, your Keith? Yeah, I think. I mean, you got a world class grappler on the ground. Hall, another guy. He's like a, a modern version of Vito Belfort. And what I mean by that is, like, could knock out Giga Musasi or could lose to John Howard. Like, you don't know what you're going to get with that guy. I'll take I'll take uh, Junior. I think you're probably. And let's not forget all the medical issues that, that yes. Uriah Hall has had recently, too. Just, I mean, if you're betting Uriah Hall, I'm assuming you're just betting because of the value, being that he's a big upset and the, you know, the athleticism freak one-strike power he has. But, yeah, if I'm just straight up pick him, yeah, I'll take him college streaming. Yeah, I think um, I think uh, I, I like Uriah Hall, but like uh, look at this match, and I don't like the look that you know in that Heinish fight where like you could see that there, there's some mental breaks there and crackings, if you will, you could kind of work on against Antonio Carlos Jr. That said, I don't think it comes into play in this style of matchup in this dynamic. Hall's the guy that needs to overcome adversity generally in his matchups, and I don't know if you over 
can, I think you can have overcome low striking volume adversity on the feet. Like if you're fighting the Jeff Hughes of the world, sounds like we're picking on Jeff Hughes here. Oh, but against a guy who's going to pressure grapple you, that's his game, especially coming off a loss. Yeah, I don't like that. And he is training with Fortis MMA. I think Uriah Hall made a camp change, but even though it's a camp that, even if it's a good camp, like one that me and Keith have pumped up on our own and just on, now in this show, there's always that rule of thumb, right, Keith? At least I think so, where like there's always that adjusting period that you always got to be weary of when the fighter makes a camp change, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, even the New England Patriots has some some tough, you know, some guys that aren't that great on the team. So <laughs> here we go. All right, next one: Misha Serkinov minus one fifteen, uh, Jimmy Crute minus one hundred five. This line's been a bit contentious. I think people are trying to decide who the favorite is. On paper, it should be Serkinov. I guess he's Canadian. He's more experienced. He's got a little bit more harder accolades, but his performances have been inconsistent. And I'm very sympathetic to what's going on. Uh, what's going on with him? I believe, you know, he's got his, uh, a first-degree family member, a significant other, going through some serious stuff. And shoot, man, I, I, I had some family news uh, within the last 48 hours that, you know, <laughs> not going to lie. I was like, oh, am I going to be able to do this podcast? I don't have to get into a fucking ring, and this guy does. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, people aren't too high on circuit off right now, uh, whereas Jimmy Crute, uh, you know, he, he seems to be doing well off Contender Series. And, you know, and a lot of people like myself was like, well, let's see if he can get past a vet like Alvy and – He's passing whatever test you throw at him so far. Does, does Jimmy Crute get it done, or does Serkinov get back on track here, Keith? Well, it seems like we got the theme going where guys like he, you never know what you get with with a guy like Serkinov. We've seen a guy that looks like you know a future champion, and then we look like a guy like like man, should he be fighting in LFA? Um, man, when I did the Contender Series preview, and I and I and I broke down Jimmy Crute, I was not that impressed. Now he's made huge, huge strides. But he still has beaten Sam Alvey and, and had a struggling, a very ugly match against Paul Craig. This is a step up in competition. Um, I think you're leaning to Crute, so just to make it interesting, I'll go the other way and, and I'll take. Uh, I'll say this is first L loss for Crute, and I say uh, Serkinov out wrestles him. God damn it! That's exactly what I was going to say. I've been leaning to Crute the whole time, thinking it's a terrible matchup. And okay. <laughs> even without even without the plus number uh, away from Mika Serkinov anymore, he doesn't even have he doesn't even have the more attractive number. But I still think. Yeah, this could be first first loss time for him, and um, God, if there is an MMA god, come on, just give give a guy like Serkinov some good. You know, you already do the the poor, you know, thrilling agony with uh, poor Stipe and uh, you know Stipe and uh, freaking the guy who wins the belt gets ah oh, my dad's clear of terminal cancer, and then the guy loses the belt, fucking loses his dad to cancer, and uh, and uh, I don't know. So you know what? Let's 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 give some guy who is dealing with a similar situation right now. Let's give him some good karma. I'm gonna pick Serkinov too. God damn it. All right, sorry about that, folks. We'll blow through the rest of this prelims real quick. Tibura Sakai, do you have an opinion on this one? Lines pretty uh, much at a pick them. Yeah, two two heavyweights. I'm not too keen on. Jesus, uh, right? I, I think uh, Tibura is a little bit better of an athlete, so I'll go with him. But I'm not very confident either either I, one. I think he's a better of an athlete and a more well-rounded on fighter on paper, which is why he was the favorite. And but money's coming on on Sakai. He's no longer at a plus number, and I can agree why. I think uh, I don't know, man. Tibura, talk about inconsistencies, man. Guy who looks like he oh he went. Well, even in the loss, he went five rounds with Verdum. Then you look at Verdum, the inconsistent fucking king. How much can we really yeah, look yeah. at that sample size? So, yeah, I don't know where the fuck Tabor is. I thought I knew where his floor was, but it's fucking – he's on the express elevator for me. Or yeah. Sakai. He's not impressive, but at least I know he's getting off one floor at a time. I'll, I'll take Sakai, I guess. I'm not confident either. All right, Miles Johns, Cole Smith, do you have an opinion on either of these two? Uh, I- it's funny we do the show on Loudmouth. You were a guest on it a couple of weeks ago, yep. uh, between the links, and, and we were yeah, talking about this. Great show. And I, I took a huge, huge stand that I think Miles John blows the doors off of Cole Smith. I think it's going to be a one-sided fight. 
Uh, Cole Smith's tough, so he'll probably make it to the decision. But I, I, I'm huge on Miles John. I see him as a future top ten guy in the division. So yeah, give me Miles John. I'm very confident in that pick. Yeah, this matchup makes sense. I'm surprised I didn't I didn't say it because like I feel like Cole Smith was a guy that I kept going trying to pair people off the contender series with because I didn't see his name matched up for a second. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, I'll take Johns as well. Um, Vittori is a big favorite on the card over Andrew Sanchez. Do you, is that right? You think Vittori rolls here? Oh man, this is another one that Sanchez is tough because he's such a strong wrestler, and I hate I hate anybody who knows me. I hate picking against wrestlers. It's just yeah. something something about wrestlers that are built in them. And there's always that factor of they just stick to a. Well, you hard... all feel dumb. You all feel dumbest. Uh, we all we all feel all, we all feel dumb on a loss, right? But like some picks, you feel dumber than others. And does this start to interrupt you? Keep it. Does this fit yeah. in what you're saying? You, when you get those picks wrong, you're like, of course I shouldn't have picked yeah. them right against. Of course yeah. this was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. If you pick Vittorio and then it's Sanchez taking him down over and over and over again, you'd be like, oh, I mean, how did I? Yeah, but that says Sanchez, like, he has this, he's a good wrestler, but then all of a sudden he'll open up and, and, and wing it. And Vittorio, he's shown that he's got power. He's getting crafty. He's younger. Um, I guess I'll take the upside of him. And, like, I don't think Sanchez has looked that good against, I mean, he's on a two fight winning streak, but both fights were very competitive. So, yeah, I'll go with Vittorio. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's, you know, his last loss against Israel Asanya. So when you compare the losses, it's, you know, Israel Asanya and Antonio Carlos Jr. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'll take Vittorio. I'll go with the youth. Same. My initial impression was like yours, which could make you question the spread on a line like that. But when you look yeah. at it again, Sanchez improved Sanchez, improved Sanchez at his best, still fighting in close fights against guys that maybe not at Vittori's level. Whereas Vittori, even at his worst, he's he's fighting in close contests. So the, a lot of stars are going to have to align – to give Sanchez a yeah. shot, and I like Sanchez, but I like Vittori more. The, I, yeah, big, big, big I, fan I, of durable southpaws. Go ahead. I'm not like I said. I'm not a big gambler. But I I just I'm just not. I don't do it. But right. I like Sanchez. If you play in DraftKings and you get a good line on Sanchez because of the takedowns and True. how much points you get for takedowns, and and you want to you know you want to put him on so you can get like a Gaethje or somebody else who costs a lot more money in DraftKings. I would love to put Sanchez in my lineup. Dude, speaking of points for takedowns, Hunter Azur is in the next matchup, but he's yes. not favored to win. He's a plus 150 dog to Brad Katona, who's sitting at minus 170. Uh, Keith, do you think uh, do you think Hunter gets the takedowns or, more importantly, the win? Um, so Hunter is he's 27, and, and I did a lot of study on him on the Tender yeah, uh, Series. Tender Series. He's, he's a very good wrestler. You're talking about D1 wrestler. He was a four-time Montana state champion. This is a fight on the preloads I'm most excited about. Yeah. Um, that said, I don't think he had a good, good um, showing on, on the contestant. Even though he won, I think he should have. Uh, Akune, he's a lot better than that guy. He should have blew him off. He's, he's got a big, he's got big power and he's got strong wrestling, but he seems like he's like a guy who's learning on the job. Like he's, he's hardly a finished product. Right. That said, I mean, Katona was a takedown dummy in his, in his last fight. And, Azura is a uh, is a very good wrestler. There's a pat to me. There's an easy pack to victory if he sticks to it. I think he does in his UFC debut. I'm going to take the uh, the Contender Series alumni over the Ultimate Fighting Champion, uh, the Ultimate Fighter Show Champion. Me too. And uh, by the way, great previews over there, Keith, uh, that you do over there with SureDog. But uh, uh, maybe it's because of the bias, though, from us covering and, and, and watching some tape and even even grading to a certain extent. Guys like Azure, they're fresh in our mind. Maybe it's that bias, but I I actually feel you. Although I will say, you know, and, and this isn't why this, I didn't sense any of that in your pick, so I, I'll speak for you in that sense. And it's not from my stance, but I get the whole fade SPG, oh, 
let's be Kevin Like I totally get that. I totally I'm not I'm not telling you who to who not to sure. hate on or who to hate on. But I will say in SG, SBG's defense, especially looking at guys like Pedro Carvalho, and I wrote about him and even in my write up, I was like, I wasn't eventually gonna write up but write this guy. He's like he's super easy to overlook on paper, right? But you look at what some of these guys are able to do, at least at the lower, mid to lower tier levels uh, in these in these higher organizations. Like he's really, you know, he's equipping these guys with some le- legit submissions and transitional grappling tools. So I'm leaving room to be surprised. Katona's already surprised me, but I'm going to go Azure as well. All right. I, I don't think we've disagreed yet. I, I, I don't think so either. Yeah, I don't think so either. Sorry, folks. <laughs> we're not getting too much of an argument here. But we got uh, Jordan Griffin minus 145. Chas Kelly plus 125. Maybe we can on this one. Jordan Griffin, I haven't looked into too much of him since it feels like his UFC on Fox 31 card. And I was actually covering Bellator that night. So I don't even know how much I, I looked into him then. Uh, he's a really talented kid. I know he comes from Rufus Sport. But again, maybe bias of... And I'm not saying this because Chaz Skelly uh, is, 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 is one of the few fighters that I will sometimes interact with. I've been a Chaz Skelly mark since since like UFC Fight Night 77 when he cashed multiple uh, ticket items for me with that with that submission win over Kevin Souza. I love his style. That being said, no matter how I got there, organic or not, Keith, it's still a bias. So I got to admit it. Uh, pick his Chaz Skelly <laughs> here. Do you got an opinion on this matchup? Well, we agree again, man. Like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, Jordan Griffin's a guy. When I looked at him, when I did tape study out of the contenders, I was not impressed. I, I I might even let me see who did he fight against the contenders. I actually might have picked it. I can't remember if I picked him or Maurice Mitchell. I don't really remember, but I remember being like, ah, this guy's not going to go anywhere. If he's if anything, he's a low level UFC talent. Um, Danny Gay. He, they had a fun back and forth yes, kind of yep. fight. Um, I expect this fight to be. I feel like a lot of scrambling. Both guys. Um, will like to wrestle and, and Chess Kelly has these weird submissions and everything. I'll go with him just because of how unimpressed I was with, with Jordan Griffin. Um, I don't like that Chess Kelly lost to, um, night there that to me that's a really you know yes. at, at yeah. the time it didn't look that bad of a loss because Knight went on a stretch, but now in hindsight, what we've seen Jordan Knight really become, it, it looks worse. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't feel comfortable with this pick, but I'm going to take Chas Skelly. I think he's a little bit more polished of the two. Yeah, I don't know where uh, – I don't want to make an excuse for that loss, but I, although I do agree it doesn't look that good in retrospect. But the one thing, whether it's that loss or coming into this fight, not so much the layoff coming into this fight, it's Chas Skelly was originally part of that t- team takedown era, and he, he came in quietly <laughs> while they were at the top, but they obviously fell out, and we saw the trend of those fighters. And he kind of fell victim to that. Went over to Black Zillions, and Black Zillions kind of had their shake-up. I think he still stayed out in South Florida and still trains at Hard Knock 365. But, again, that's the question. What kind of prep is he getting into it? So no one jump off a cliff betting that dog on either of our behalf. Um, so what you're saying – so just to recap, to make sure I understand what you're saying. You're saying wherever Chess Skelly goes, he's a cancer, and that team's going to break up. That's what you're saying? Whoa, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, no, no. I much love to Chess Skelly. Chess Skelly's the Antonio Brown of uh, – oh. Oh Jesus! Oh, I don't even follow that sport, and I, I just oh. read some disturbing headlines there, man. And uh, speaking of contender series, some some funny little tweets there. But uh, I shouldn't be laughing at. But <laughs> sorry. All right, we'll leave that there. All right, let's finish out this card before we jump to the top five real quick here. Uh, Luis Smoka, Ryan McDonald, Smoka's favorite uh, to win there, and Austin Hubbard's favorite to beat Kyle Prepolek. Do you have opinions on either of those? Yeah, I like Austin Hubbard. He's he's a guy. I mean, he he beat like uh, kill, uh, kills Moda, who's a really good fighter uh, in LFA. That was a good win. Harvey Park. I mean, that's two really good prospects. Yeah. 
that he beat. Um, he took a fight against Davi Ramos, who, who, who Davi Ramos is a very good fighter, very short notice fight. I think he got it like the day, the week of. That's tough. Um, he's taken a huge step down in competition, so I like that one. And I mean, Louis Smoker. I mean, you you got to root for a guy that you know he's he's had an alcohol issue. He's open about it. He talks about it. You just you want to root for a guy like that. Yeah. He's he, you know every time you stop believing, he loses to a guy like Matt Schnell. But I think that's a good loss. I mean, Matt Schnell's a good fighter. And uh, you compare their resumes with Ryan McDonald losing to a guy like Chris Gutierrez. That's that's a big step down in competition. Um, you, I don't know if you can ever feel comfortable with New, Luis Smoker because Smoker he's a, he has this weird style. Like he'll give up takedowns. He'll he'll he, he feels like almost he feels too comfortable off his back where he's like. He kind of has that jujitsu mentality where he doesn't realize like he's losing because he's laying on his back, but yeah. he's slick. Like he he can get submissions from there. He's get he's long rangey. I will take him, uh, and I feel fairly confident. But as as confident as you can feel in picking Louis Smoker. Yeah, again, uh, Smoker, that the grappling you were talking about that fits the bias that kind of has burnt me with the, the for example the Dustin Poirier example, right, and the Tony Ferguson example of being, oh, yeah, being exactly. too comfortable to fight because I because at the same time there's guys like Luis Smoker, even though it hasn't worked out for him every time. I do I, and whether or not you agree with his style, I do get his style because again he's another guy that he's playing for the long game. He's okay losing small battles because he's trying to win that war. Doesn't mean he's going to win the war, but I, I get what he's doing. It's not completely crazy that said i like smoka and you don't need to like smoka really to pick him here because i'm not trying to be mean man but ryan mcdonald i mean talk about you mentioned about being least impressed with like footage for contenders here like ryan mcdonald for footage for just tape study i was like wow this is one of the most greenest like we need to fill content here pickups from the ufc and i, I really don't mean that meanly and uh, i agree with hubbard who i'm taking as well Oh, there you go. We we went. I think we did every single fight the same exact pick. Jesus Christ. Well, hopefully that was uh, worthwhile to you. Again, timestamps here. On that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, me and Keith are going to break down our top five reluctant heroes in MMA right here in the Protect Your Neck podcast. This marks the end of part one. If you're listening on vinyl, flip it over to side B. Otherwise, click on part two.